0: Hey, a little pre-roll mention of our service provider, OnWeCaster, uh, open source developers of a podcasting uh, platform that we use to record our shows with guests. It is provided for free because we are a charity working on open source software, and they are working on open source software, and we love to support each other. So shout out to OnWeCaster. There's a link in the show notes. If you go to ecaster, E-C-A-S-T-R.com, that's where you can start. Check them out. As well, uh, there were a couple of hiccups during today's show, which was recorded on April 27th. Our guests were using Wi-Fi and uh, cell, 5G cell not a comment on uh, the connectivity in Las Vegas in general, just these things happen, and certainly not a commentary on the quality of service of OnWeekaster, which is actually quite pleasant to use. So uh, looking forward to hearing the show. I hope you are, because you're about to. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, EnweCaster, open source software, and open data. Hey there, welcome to episode 10 of Let's Innovate for Vegas. We are joined today by two luminaries in the world of open data, City of Las Vegas is a big proponent of open data, which is great, and we're going to learn everything we need to know about using it and abusing it, but actually putting it to use as we should be. So today, open data everywhere. Thank you for joining us, Anthony Willis and Nicole Malitschke. The comedic stylings of Nicole Malitschke, by the way, will be coming up shortly. Thanks for joining us. Thank
1: you for having us. Glad to be here.
0: Thanks for uh, thanks for joining in and uh, sharing a, um, a mic. So if you hear the clicking of, of switching voices and whatnot, there, there you go. So first up, we all want to know who are Nicole and Anthony, and you are two separate people, so I don't mean to group you into one, even though you're sharing a mic. So you both work for the city of Las Vegas, I think, and I will uh, let you run with that.
2: Oh, by all means, you first.
1: Uh, I'm I'm Anthony Willis, I manage the city's Office of GIS team. Um, We have responsibility for managing the city's GIS environment, uh, which we've had here at the city for just north of 32 years. I've only been here a little bit over 20 years myself, Um, and we do all things GIS, maps, apps, data, a lot of uh, location intelligence type of services, and integrations. Um, It is a wonderful job. I, I probably do it for fun, um, but I'm not volunteering for that right now. Um, But it's a very wonderful job. We work with a lot of good people and I really enjoy what I do.
2: Yeah, and I'm Nicole Malitschke. I am a senior management analyst with the innovation and technology department. Um, And my current role, I oversee the open data program. Uh, This includes both the business and the technical side of it uh, and making sure that the data that we have out on the portal is available for anyone to use, um, with a limited, you know, uh, uh, how do I say it limited, you don't need to request it. It's right. basically anyone, anybody can come there's, there's no, no caveats to it.
0: Minimal constraints to access. I, I like that. That sounds sure.
2: good. Yeah, that one's great. Yeah.
1: And I failed to mention, yes, the Office of Jazz Team is also in the Innovation Technology Department as well.
0: And for the uh, for the uninitiated, that's is Geographical Information Systems, if I recall correctly, right? That
1: is correct. Mm -hmm.
0: So so basically, anything having to do with places and things, some of the key nouns, my favorites. Uh, are are in these open data data sets. And when we say data sets, these are, <clears throat> if anyone's familiar with like a spreadsheet, if you can just imagine tables and tables, worksheets and worksheets, workbooks, and piles and piles of uh, numbers and locations and labels and tags, uh, all to be enjoyed and uh, consumed by various creative people and apps. Have I kind of given the uh, appropriate picture? Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. That's pretty good.
0: So that's uh that so I I am amazed there we can we can get into the stats if you have them off the top of your head or if you have them handy but there is a ton that's a technical term a ton of data in the data sets that I have shown um I, I think I probably more often the Geocommons data set I will show it to people when they ask a particular question and they say what is this I don't even where how huh, huh, you know and they're kind of dumbfounded that they had no idea so how first of all, how much data are we talking about across all, and, and how many data, data sets like portals or there's open government and the, the geocommons. I just found a G, an RTC data set. That's my other favorite thing lately. How much data, how many data sets, like how big is this thing?
2: Well, I, I also think that we, um, it almost seems like, yes, there's two separate portals when it comes to GeoCommons and, and Open Data and the city of Las Vegas itself. Um, and even though they they are one and the same, there are differences within them. So GIS, of course, has more of the spatial components, the APIs are different, um, and what you can retrieve is different. And then Open Data is more the tabular data. So these are, um, of course, you can use it for development as well, but it's it's strictly a table. There's, um, aside from Latin long in some of the data sets, it is um, for tabular use. But I'll let Anthony kind of really um, hone in on the, the GIS part of geocommons. Yeah,
1: on, on the geocommons, side, that's a good good example of a good way to define them. Um, on the geocommons side, if you're wanting to do, we use the word location intelligence type of stuff. Uh, geocode addresses, uh, build interactive mapping applications inside of your app or whatever you're working on inside. That's where you would use the geocommon layers. Um, uh, there's parcels, there's business licensing data, there's all kinds of things out there. Streets and online data that you can mix and match and use for that. And that's the, the main difference. Um, you know, a lot of times for open data, it has been huge, and Nicole will dive into this a lot more out than I, I can. For uh, answering Freedom of Information Act requests. Um, we have Hackathon, they've used that data for that, where they just want the data for the particular apps and maps. So it's a good compliment. And you mentioned about the other jurisdictions in the Valley, pretty much everybody, and I'll, I won't mention the names of there. there's a couple of three that haven't yet. I won't mention their names here, but even Metro has a public data set now, uh, data science yes. now. Yep. Um, and so it's become a way to in a sanitized, clean and, and safe way to share your data um, for all the reasons we've been mentioning above. And so it, it's, it's a good thing to see the movement continuing.
0: Yeah. It's So you mentioned two things that I'll touch on. Uh, the First of all, the LVMPD did launch. So they used to use crime mapping, which was just a. Oh, I'm sure they paid them, or however the the business was arranged. But it, it was essentially a map of a police blotter. You'd see little icons for different kinds of crimes and whatnot. And people used to refer to it now that now and then. Although still a lot of people didn't know about it. So and we're talking like Nextdoor.com and probably Facebook. You know they, they'll describe a situation and you say, oh, you mean this incident report right here? And they're, oh, great. But when they moved to uh, ArcGIS for their information portal for, for normal people to look at. First of all, the user interface is a little bit uglier, but it has a vastly more information and probably more use, useful, but maybe not as usable for the casual person, but just more useful ways to to get at it and report on things and incident reports and and a visualization of it and, and so on, filters and everything. But most people, they did a really awful job of getting that word out. So... <laughs> Like I discovered it by accident by tweeting something and they said, oh, you don't know about our new data portal. Like, well, wow. So that was nice. You also mentioned business licenses, which is uh, timely. I literally just looked at that data set, I think two days ago. I think it was Tuesday. Uh, t- by the Today's uh, April 27th, by the way. I forgot to mention that. So Tuesday I was looking at not only national census data on business and entrepreneurialism for, you know, down to county or zip code if possible. And then I found the data set here. And that was actually it looks like it's most of Southern Nevada area, not just Las Vegas. So how, how does that data, what are the limits of our data? That was a really long way of asking what's in there and by what rules or constraints.
1: Um, and that's a bigger question. Then let me, and I'll parse it again, Geocommas, which we'll call public JS data versus okay. open. So on the JS side, it's mostly operational. Uh, these are operational data sets the city uses to provide services. And so we make those available like business licensing. Um, included in business licensing are there are some multi-jurisdictional licenses that occur. And so that's kind of what you're probably saying. Um, we process data for the entire valley, um, the entire all of Clark County. There are data sets that are specific to city boundaries, but many overlap. And business licensing is one of those. You get a much more uh, refined uh, and and, and curated uh, set of data, though, with open data. I'll let Nicole talk about that, but that's that's kind of the jazz side of where it comes from.
2: And and that's great, great timing Um, as far as the business licenses data set on the open data portal. That was one that we actually just uh, revamped. Uh, we had a local entrepreneur come to us and ask us if we could find a way to get some of the information that she was looking for um, onto the portal. And so we did have limited information on that data set And some of the things that um, were sought after were things that were more in line with what other jurisdictions, both local and otherwise, were publishing to um, really use you know, pretty much the same exact data, and and it had to do with, you know, when the license was set to expire, um, and if there was a grace period, some of the date fields were recently added. Um, And this was just one to make it more robust for anybody who is coming and using that data to have it, you know, be a little more understandable and useful to anybody. Um, so that one, I'm, I'm very proud of, and very proud of the public outreach um, that helped us really lift that off the ground and get the buy-in to to get that published and updated.
0: Sure. Well, as as um, this, the I have this other project called Cafe Genius, and so we because I'm in both things, the Innovative Vegas and that they they cross pollinate a little bit, and we are definitely taking a deep dive on what our entrepreneurial ecosystem looks like. So obviously knowing where all of the different parts of the ecosystem are and who's doing what, you know, down to like a business type or uh, whether it's a startup, um, a tradition, like a, well, there's a difference between a tech startup, for example, or a, a like I would like to start a coffee shop and both of them are startups by entrepreneurs, but they have a different perception from outside, right? Like one is the the hot new thing and the other one is where you go to meet and talk about the hot new thing, Right. So, so some sort of granularity or some ability to figure out what the ecosystem really looks like is what I was beginning to explore, and it was interesting that there was so there there is a ton of data in there, which is useful, um, and we're we're trying to come up with a survey that will align with that, so we can figure out if we're getting <clears throat> a good distribution. Um, it's very easy to focus on a particular self-selected group, for example, if they're at a particular meetup or gathering, maybe in the Arts District on the third Saturday of the month. Shout out to Tech Alley but that is a that, that is a selected self-selected group right so so making sure that we know what the boundaries are of the ecosystem is useful so yeah these are the sorts of things that i think people once they know that data is there you kind of go ah that's useful that's even more useful so that's good appreciate that um, so so that's the gen and so the the finer points I guess we'll probably cover this a little bit through the the entire time here because there, you've you've made this distinction a couple of times there's the open data data sets that are I'm going to assume are generally available on the ArcGIS I think we're right. Hello
1: hello are you yours now
0: yeah what happened to, where are you?
1: We had a little bit of a a a, a connection issue. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: we went looking for people.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, because because right now you're not being recorded though. How? Sorry, you, did you join? The, what is going on here? <laughs> it says it's recording.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, because I it, uh, on me it says I'm it says I'm the only one in the room and that I and okay. So you can see both. You can see your name and my name, and we're we're still okay, right?
2: No, I only no, see, your or name. I see your name.
0: Oh. So. All right. So oh uh, yeah. Well, we'll see. The, um, this is the second time we're using this platform. We had a little, little hiccup there, but uh, so we returned. So my question was at the the time of our brief interruption was the you've made the distinction a couple times and um, so the arcgis portal arcgis is owned by esri if i recall right that how yes. that that houses open data or gis data and then where's the other for the the, the masses who are accessing the stuff it
1: houses both um so we use the arcgis platform the online platform to House both the GeoCommons uh, site and Open Data site. They're what call, calls their hubs.
0: Now you're gone. I can't hear you at all. So we have for Zoom recording. We're back. Exciting network connectivity issues.
1: And I think I left off when we were talking about the platform. Uh, both, Arc, both GeoCommons and Open Data are on our ArcGIS platform. Um, ArcGIS Esri is the world's largest GIS tools provider. Um, privately held, one of the largest software companies in the world actually. And the ArcGIS platform is one of the most premier platforms for GIS related content. We're using a piece of that called hub sites. And the hub sites are a part of the platform where you can build these sites to share open data to things like COVID dashboards, which we did during the pandemic. A lot of agencies did that. The initial John Hopkins dashboard, everybody was referencing in the first part of COVID, that right. was done using an ArcGIS hub site. And so we launched both both sites, Geocommons and have been on the hub platform in ArcGIS, and they work really well. We share data on some things, some data that's spatial ends up becoming the tabular form on open data, so it makes it easy to share data across both sites. So, it's working really well for us. And you probably noticed Metro uh, and some of the other agencies are also using ArcGIS uh, as the plat- back-end platform as well.
0: And I guess there's there are different <clears throat> different levels of access. Or, or, and you and I, Anthony, have we emailed about this. There's open data and there's public data. So some things are maybe we could say approved or are like there's official channels, then there's other data that's sort of just available. Or do you want to go into that a little bit?
1: sure um and I'll, I'll let nicole kind of expound on the open data side for the public data side it was really um more about sharing our data with the community things like hackathons with our vendors who do a lot of business with us for services the city provides it's easy to share data that way um, and overall i want to i'll use the word transparency in some ways for um folks to get to see the data that we use behind the scenes so it's operational, business licenses, permits, things like that, parcel data, uh, and all spatial. When we got to we wanted to have official um, data sets that satisfied Freedom of Information Act requests, satisfied you know a more steered, governed, and curated set of data. That's when open data came into play. It really plays a pivotal role in that now, uh, and that's the difference there. I'll let Nicole
2: expand on that. Yeah, um, so. Um, it, and you can go to our site and at the very bottom of the page, it'll it'll say privacy policy and you can see some of the governing documents that we have for open data. But it's, it is exactly what, what Anthony said. It, it is governed. We do hold um, committee meetings. And what we do, um, it, it first started a, a while ago with the open data uh, city census. And that really set the tone for the data that we should have public and what that data entailed. And now that that program is no longer um, available or um, open for participation, the city has really looked at what data sets the community wants, um, both internally and, and externally um, and valley wide and things that really affect our city. And so anytime that those are brought up or changed, we do bring that in front of the committee for approval to make sure that, you know, we are publishing, uh, the source of data that we have vetted, we approved, and, um, that we find to be kind of the source of truth per se. Um, even though there is disclaimers there that, you know, any, any little hiccups in the data can happen. And of course, obviously will happen. Um, but we do try our best to make sure that that is up, that is open, and that is available for everyone, and that, that is, those are data sets that we have eyes on that, that we are really trying to give to the public so that the open records requests are limited.
1: And one of the it, things uh, that you and ahead. I discussed, Dan, was about consistency, I believe, in our email, which uh, we're emailing back and forth, um, that's at the heart of both sites we want to maintain consistency we want to be able to communicate change if we have to change some data or move or add and what have you so that you as a provider of service in the community as a a business like the an app startup or something and you want to use this data you can rely on it um right. it data is integrated into many different things and so we try to make sure we manage that change and maintain consistency um, for all the external users that are accessing that data.
0: Yeah, that I was going to. So Nicole mentioned that you get data sort of re-examined from time to time to see what's staying there, and the that would be that as a as a software engineer myself, you know, when when a, a, when something you rely on a, a, a whether it's a database or some external service or an internal API, when anything changes without in, you know some warning. And things break and then your your, your website stops working or you can't, your customers can't buy things or whatever it is. It's very frustrating. So um, so are there like terms of service uh, uh, almost like an SLA, but not quite because it's open data, right? So about a service level agreement like thing so that someone who says, my entire business is based on that data set being available. And you say, well, it's not going to be available after the end of the year. Is that like, how does that work?
2: Yes. <laughs> that is exactly what the, the disclaimer is for, because yeah. it, it does happen. Um, a while ago, we even migrated. We used to have a different platform, and when we migrated open data over to the Esri Hub platform, all those APIs that once existed no longer did. And sure. so anybody that would come and plug in to, you know, our data or look at it or download it, that link was no longer available. Um when it comes to currently um, on the open data, uh, well, specifically on the open data portal, um, some of the issues that I, 4C, I really do take those in consideration and I really try to evaluate how is this going to impact our users? Because it's not only just the users, but um, it's the analytics that I use behind the scenes to tell me how the portal is running and really to right. gauge how people are interacting with that data set. So anytime I make a change in the APIs, that's going to reflect in my analytics as well.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah, that, and uh, ideally, someone who depends on it will spend the time needed to make sure, like, so it won't be a complete surprise. Hopefully, policies are such that data doesn't just disappear from Friday to Monday or something. Hopefully.
2: Yes. and And also, you know, we do make sure that if we have data that is outdated or maybe somebody doesn't really... Feel the need to update on the portal anymore. We archive it, we do not delete it. Um, right, so that we make sure is there. Um, but again, if it's something that impacts our users, we do evaluate that move and make sure that that is the correct move to be made before we make anything you know moving forward.
0: Well, that's good. That is uh, that's good to hear from uh, which we will get to later, which is how we, our Innovate for Vegas Foundation, intend to make use of and hopefully add to but we'll get to that in a second so really where we should begin is at the very beginning a very good place to start i'll stop there sound of music anybody um in the early days of open data which i believe anthony was around for can you hear, um, can, can you hear me
2: yes no? we, we you. yes cut out for a second
0: oh i yeah that your, your end is a little crackly. I don't know. Uh, I don't know about the city. Now. you're on CBRS right now, is that the the culprit? <laughs> no, we're on
1: five G right now. Just yeah, five <laughs> oh, okay. G. Still. Yeah, okay. Okay.
0: <sighs> anyway, okay. So uh, hopefully you can still hear me. Uh, so the early days, yes. how it started, uh, and Anthony was around for that, and I was not. Although I had ju- so to, uh, code for Vegas was part. That's where code for Vegas began, and it began when I moved here. Totally unrelated events. 2014 and um or maybe before that but code for america was doing some work and so that is where the story really begins how what what was the impetus how did the city enter into this uh, whole notion what was it like back then
1: um interesting nicole i think you were in involved in a different role that uh, back then yeah at that time yeah um and I'll give my perspective when Nicole came in. She's a, she a different role, but she was involved. Um, the city, the Freedom of Information Act request had come up. Uh, the city was undergoing what we call performance tracking. We were, you know, like most organizations, public or private, we were trying to do track our performance as an organization. How are we doing? What we say we want to do and performance goals, things like that, metrics, those kind of things analytics and data were becoming a word, a buzz word, a jargon. And the Sunlight Foundation, I think it is, Yeah. Uh, someone discovered, well, hey, this is a, where do we start? And we started with Code for Vegas. They came in, and they said, there's this Sun, Sunlight Foundation thing, and you guys can use this as kind of a guide to kind of get started when you want to do some official sharing. At this point, for operational purposes, we had already launched – geocommons. And we were using it for our mapping applications um, and with ourselves and with our vendors for integration. So that was kind of out there. Um, this ever came along and the initial co for vegas folks came in and helped us to kind of steer the direction of what would be a good start if you're going to put your foot into the data world and the open data world itself. It is specifically um, and that's kind of where the genesis from it at first. So we really did this laundry list of data. And then I remember the early meetings and I'll let the coach I'm in here because it was kind of mixed in with performance management and we were had this laundry list. And then we went, wait a minute, do we even have any of this stuff? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it, it was, and it was, we, we now, but we were all excited and wanted to collect these things and we had to go back and figure out, wait a minute, do our system support these things? And it, it was an early introduction into how you might approach this. You might want to know five things. Do your systems support that, or how do you get them to support that? How do you? Who's responsible for that data? Those kind of questions. And so it was a really good exercise for us. Um, And and I believe Nicole, you came from the performance side, and so she had a different perspective on how this data was getting collected and and the reasons behind it. She chimed in on that, but
2: (laughs) then along came me. Then along came (laughs) me. The party. (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah, that was my my previous role. Um, the performance management side of it was really looking to collect some of the the annual performance data. Well, actually, no, some of it was uh, uh, monthly, mm-hmm. and some mm-hmm. tried to be daily. Um, and although I I was pretty data heavy before that role, um, this the performance side of it really kick-started the open data part, but they, are two, they were two separate things and um, along the way, open data has been shedding some of the data sets that were strictly performance and um, really left it up to the departments to publish what they felt was relevant to their department, what would help them kind of limit their freedom um, of records uh, requests um, and whatnot. And so this is where Open Data, for the last uh, well, I would say about year and a half, two years, it's been shortly after COVID, um, has really been trying to update a lot of the things that are up there and and become more relevant and fresh and and really useful to to everyone that comes to the portal.
0: That's that's these are laudable goals. I I approve. <laughs> Uh, so, so would you, so, so the, um, the adoption and, uh, and the, uh, kind of acceptance and was that, was, did anybody kind of scoff at this or was there a general kind of agreement that, yeah, this seems like a good idea.
2: <laughs> Should I start that one?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, it has been a mixture of both. Of course, we are all doing a lot more with a lot less. And sometimes when it comes to data, a lot of people think that it's just another task that they're going to have to do. Um, but I really do try to make it very limited to get people what they need. So a lot of times, I'm kind of the middleman. I'm the one that's um, working with departments to find out what data they want to publish out to the portal and how they want it to look. And then I go back and I, I you know, try to lay the the pipelines, you know, to get the data from them to the portal yeah. with limited to no um, human manipulation at all. Uh, and that's really kind of what I, I go for there is to really kind of cut down the work. And then that's when I usually find if they're engaged and they're aware of what's there and uh, they're a lot more open and receptive to me kind of asking those questions. I still got a long way to go, though, because it did seem like I was coming and saying, "What do you have?" and and it was really just a relationship of how we communicate with the departments and really getting, you know, their buy-in. Because at the end of the day, it is their data that they are putting out there.
0: Uh, Yes, absolutely. I think anytime you ask someone to do things, you have to immediately say, "But it won't take any extra effort from you." I promise. And then they, oh, maybe. (laughs) They yeah, I'm buy a little it.
2: more open. I tell them there's 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 going to be some work to be done, but I will make it, you know, to be where we can really work together. And then moving forward, it's the least amount of work we have to do.
0: That's right. And then you uh, there's a special program that we all know about. It's called the intern program. It makes, uh, <laughs> it makes <laughs> yeah. some things easier. I would love that. But it, so the, it's interesting though because the times are a changing, and nowadays people speak of AI and ML, and uh, somewhat less commonly of data pipelines and uh, even ETL, which is coming and going—extract, transform, and load—for the casual listener. But so so moving data around and the understanding of of data as a as a thing of value rather than just a buzzword, although. I don't know if people really quite understand, like nobody's read through the Shannon uh, information theory stuff to know what what it really means. But all that said, do you find the adoption or uh, understanding of the value or or maybe just the the buy-in, is it becoming easier in the last year or maybe even in the last couple of weeks at the rate things are moving? Are people kind of going, okay, I see where this is going to matter?
1: It's a work in progress. Yeah. I'll put that, I'll go on the positive side there, but still work. And one of the things that we run into is the understanding of what data is. <clears throat> and you know, because you come and start asking these questions, a lot of things begin to. You know, we might have bought a system 15 years ago that didn't easily export data. Um, but it wasn't a big deal because if you wanted that information, you went to that system where you got an account. Now we think data first. If we're going to bring on a system, that system needs to be accessible with APIs. It needs to, we need to be able to get to our data in a hurry, move it around, manipulate it if we want, those kinds of things. And those aren't questions we were asking of our vendors or our staff You know, just 10, 15 years ago. Um, when it comes to AI and all that, uh, my philosophy on that is we're seeing the benefits of data proliferation. The first thing you're going to do when you buy a GIS system is make data. It doesn't work without it. You got to make a lot of parcel and the streets and land data, other types of data. The first thing you do when you're going to get an AI system is you're going to train it on mounds and mounds of data. And so as open data sets, uh, a lot of people may or may not be aware that chat GPT is built off of the World Wide Web corpus, which is an open data set of every bit of text out on the web that gets crawled. That's public data, and that's how they built the initial parts of that model. Um, and the ability and access, the ability of us to produce data at higher volumes are much like with open data. We produce a lot of data overnight and through a lot of automation, and to make it available. Is going to make the things like ai robotics that much more better because we're giving them way more data than they could get 10 or 15 years ago so it's kind of hand in hand together they got kind of to go together um and depends on where you are in that perspective of, of the user they're they land in different places along that along that spectrum so still a work in progress
0: though it, it, well anything with technology is I, I i can buy that but i think um There's the so the yeah, well, AI is becoming um, a thing on its own, which is going to be tricky. I think people are giving it too much credit too early. My opinion, I'm looking for oh, the three A's. I came up with the three A's of uh, of AI because I already have IDA to innovate and implement. But so, my opinion, on you need to have awareness, access, and accountability. So, I think. One of the issues people run into, and the one that you are addressing specifically, is first of all, people don't know their awareness is just like where the data came from. Do I know? Does this is this useful? Is it accurate? Accountability is that, uh, which is what you're doing. Is like, well, yeah, here's here's where it came from. We are we're managing it. We oversee and govern its access and who adds to it and whatnot. And then uh, access is that do, do people have access to the data when they need it or is it going to become a paywall thing, an egalitarian versus elitism balance, right? Like if you pay more, you get the better data. You know, who knows, right? So I think mm-hmm. it, as long as the open data mindset includes some transparency about where the data came from and that it is actually credible and that it's not just random, you know, because anybody can add data to the World Wide Web corpus uh, for better or worse. <laughs> and so you get uh, – <laughs> You get what you get, but it, so if there's some credibility back, and that's the the open data part, really is like as you say, it's approved and it's there's committee um, focus on what's in and what's out, and and it you know where it comes from, right? If anybody ever said with a court order, for example, like where did this come from, you would you would have a trail of evidence and a, you know all the receipts, so to speak, right? Okay. Yes,
1: yes, yes, and one of the benefits of, of publicly sourced data, be it public data, open data, what have the federal government has data.gov, is um, there's the public goods doctrine behind that. So if I'm a private data provider, I can do what's best for profit. Um, We're guided by the public goods doctrine, which says we're to do things that aren't profitable, but they're good for the public, um, the public at large. Um, What we provide if you want to pay more for it, you wouldn't get a better version of it. Everybody gets the best version we can provide, those kinds of things. And I think, you know, that provides a level playing field for app developers, for, you know, folks just needing to like to crunch data. If you're in real estate and you get access to parcel data or even the AI companies, wherever it is, it levels the playing field. Everybody has access to the same Sets of data, um, and I think that is key to address some of the concerns. And I like you; I have those same concerns. I think that's key to help and address some of those concerns. Uh,
0: that's that's uh, good. I mean, I think, I think people don't think about that until they need to. And so, you know, ChatGPT as an example—that's in all the headlines—and there are countless projects that don't get as much attention that are probably just as viable or even more so. You know they have a paid model, so you if you pay, you get a better platform, you get a little bit faster, you get early access, and so on. So I think as commercial interests make themselves more known in this space, it'll be interesting. And so as long, I mean, the people are paying for this the open data that you maintain, right? That's a it's paid for by some some sort of public resources. Do you do you get federal go, federal money? Is there grant money that goes towards that or? Yeah.
1: No. No. Um, okay. During during pandemic, uh, like most governments, we got different batches of federal money that support the programs we as a city operate. So by the, that way, maybe it supports some of those. We do get some of that data from those things, like our block grant program, things like that. But the open data program itself, no, it is funded by the city.
0: Okay, that's cool. Well, yeah. yeah, so I guess. Uh... So in in some cases where there's the the data appears to just magically drop off at an administrative boundary, then you know why.
2: <laughs> but, uh,
0: and 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 those boundaries, by the way, are in open data data sets, So in GeoComms, so um, so so it's. I mean, I, I again, I think people that don't think about this stuff or have never considered it may find this to be like you know why is this useful, but it, it's. Now, But I don't want to go down this other road, which is like, well, some data is better than no data, which is not usually not true. But having information that you can rely on is much more useful than um, taking guesses or taking data from unknown sources. So if there's an authoritative source of information that you can base decisions on, as you say, real estate, parcel data, if you can actually figure out the distribution of business licenses and where the businesses are and... Um, and I'll get to why we started our project in a second. But yeah, the, the access to this data is often not recognized as valuable until it becomes like, oh, this is the reason we're able to do something. And I, I think it's important that people start to recognize that it's there and then how it can be used. And as, as I said earlier, uh, I have shown the Geocommons data portal to, you know, on my phone, I'll just say, here, there's this. And they say, oh, I didn't know this even existed. So marketing. <laughs> which I'm not good at.
2: Yeah. And one of the things that that I like to talk about with people, um, you know, whenever people are like, oh, yeah, data, it's great. And I'm like, it is. Let me just tell you. One of the best things about, um, and especially where I really love what I do, is I really try to make the data that is on the portal, actually, it is. It's interoperable, right? So whether somebody wants to build a dashboard with the the data that's already published, or if they want to put it in machine learning or AI, it is something that is flexible. It can be reused, it can be revisited. However, anybody needs to use that data, they can join it. They can. It's malleable and it is, you know, able to be put in all these different solutions for someone to use it. And um, I think right there is probably that's just data gold, you know, that, that anybody can come and get what they need for it and make make it work how they need it to work. Because not everybody's going to come and, um, I mean, from one of the things I see um, when I analyze how my portal is, how my portal, how the city's portal is doing, um, you know, I really like to see how people are using it. And so I see that people still will download the CSVs, but there are people that, they either have the page bookmarked and they do a direct you know, um, entrance to our site, and then one of the other things that they will do is they'll connect to our APIs. Although everybody is anonymous, I can't see who did it, but these are just numbers and stats that, that roll up and we're able to see, and this really helps us gauge how people are coming to the portal, how they're using it, and how we can make it better for them in all these different ways.
0: So you know what the most popular open data data set is?
2: I for sure do.
0: <laughs> Can you share that? Is that allowed? Can we know?
2: Uh, well, yeah, um, it's, it's open data. <laughs> um, some of the, the, the highest data sets that we see are anything that have to do um, with Uh, city operations. So, um, employee compensation, open checkbook, open budget, you know, these are things that people are really actively looking for. I also try to keep track of how people are searching for our data, you know, and these are through not only helping us rename our tags, um, that we have so people can find our data, but it is so they can, um, Uh, Or it gives us a better idea of what people are coming and looking for if it's not there and so It's still the ones that are highly viewed and accessed are still the ones that people are coming and they are searching for things like finance They are searching for things like crime and you know um, Government operations. These are the the top search terms through each year um, give or take
0: Hmm. and So so for example crime there's obviously mm-hmm. LVMPD has a very detailed portal now. It's been, has it been a year? It's been over a year now, right? I think since they launched it. So, oh, sure. and and I know that there's some, on like the portal homepage, there's links to like, oh, go check over here for this and that. But like, d- uh, the, the, this, there's an obvious answer to this, which is, you know, if you're looking for the data, you should know how to find where to look. But like, what is the landscape of, Data availability, like just to know, to quote the only quote that I would ever actually use from a, a former <laughs> Secretary of Defense: uh, "Are there are no known knowns and there are no unknowns." So do people? I'm not even going to quote him the whole way. But how do we help people find what they're looking for? Like, is there a unified unified strategy to say, like, here are the thousand ways that you can figure out what's going on here? And some of them are open data, some of them are over here and over there. Like, is that? Oh.
1: Um I think you were asking about kind of how do you navigate the world yeah, that is out there
0: because uh, there the are yeah, yeah there are indexes of of open data out there but those are not really meant for normal people <laughs> like you kind of have to know that they exist first so how like how do you direct people to the LVMPD so, you know if I'm looking for crime data then there is a good place to look for that if I'm looking for parcel data if I'm looking for budget line items, there are different ways to start your search. So how do we enable people that way?
1: Well, I'll take that word search, and I'm not advocating if you don't like Google search, use your search of choice. <laughs> but um, a search like a Google search for, you know, Metro police data, City of Las Vegas data, um, is probably the very first place to start. It's an opportunity for us as organizations to probably find some better ways to market you know what these these data sites and to give links to everybody else you could get to one you get to them all that kind of thing but a good search normally turns up um, data pretty quickly um, they're all crawled very well and you'll end up right smack dab at one of these sites where you'll want to be so if you, if you tend to search business license data in the city of Las Vegas Nine times out of ten, you're going to get the open data site in the top three results.
0: The if if yes, um, anecdotally, I was using. Don't don't fault me for this, people listening right now. But I was looking at nextdoor.com. I'll give you a pause for uh, everybody. Okay. Uh-huh. I, I I feel the same way. Uh, the the next door site, there was a comment made about some, a crime incident and they pointed people to like spot a crime or some, some random site. And I said, you know, LVMPD has an entire portal with all this and nobody has any idea about that stuff. So I think one of the challenges is that people presume they have their favorite website that they go and look at. And that is some ridiculous subset of what really is available. So Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just sort of awareness. And, um, I mean, so I'll get to, uh, still, it's towards the end, the fun stuff. Um, But yeah, just raising awareness of everything here. I I contend that discovery is kind of a a culture thing here in Vegas. Everybody kind of does their thing, and they don't really know what they don't know, so they don't look, or they stick with what they already did know. And so um, it sounds like maybe Nicole would have some thoughts on this. Is there a Powered by Open Data logo or badge we can use, or has anyone thought about that?
2: no we don't have one at this time that is a great suggestion I'm gonna i know have to, yeah <laughs> i love it i'm gonna have to um <laughs> i'm gonna have to you know plant some seeds and uh, see what blossoms out of that one
0: we have because uh, so what we are now we'll start talking about fun stuff uh not that data is not fun i'm not saying that at all it <laughs> is the basis on which uh, information is uh Uh, distilled. Uh, So uh, Innovate for Vegas Foundation is a nonprofit charity. So a lot of the things that we are trying to work on right now in an effort to connect the people who volunteer their time with eventual rewards, right? Value for value donations or, hey, hire the developers from this project. So everything essentially is geared towards powered by Innovate for Vegas volunteers right so so little badges that point you to how do i get in touch with the person that built this or who did the ui or, or so and so so uh, or so on so the and i'm not diminishing anybody i'm i'm kind of grouping everybody together but the whole idea is to empower volunteers and give absolute transparent attribution to them so that they can take what they learned and what they did and turn that into return so similarly everything you guys are doing is sort of in the back Nobody really knows, but, you know, infinitely valuable, not necessarily understandable at that level. So, yeah, powered by open data, powered by the city of Las Vegas, open data, however you want to do that. Maybe a contest for a cool logo design.
1: (laughs) That would be very cool. We have to think about that.
2: Yeah, we used to. um, It it was before my time. It it was a previous uh, staff member. There was... I cannot recall what it, it what the name of it was but we hosted um, certain applications that people built using open data um That's part and, and two that of was my, yeah
0: go ahead
2: sorry <laughs> sorry uh, that was that was just something I would love to bring back but there was definitely you know something where I um, you know kind of showcasing that I felt really had some good engagement. We don't have that currently, um, so that's definitely something to bring
0: up right yeah that I, I was gonna say that was that was gonna be my part two of my question was essentially you know once people are powered by open data, what are they doing and uh, so i will I will now introduce some of the ideas that we've had so open data, first of all I when we reformed. Initially, we were Code for Vegas Foundation. Now we are Innovate for Vegas Foundation to be more inclusive. And Code for America was being a jerk, but that's a different story. But so we are <laughs> a completely independent organization. Sean Looker, who you probably both remember, mm-hmm. do you? Yeah. So Sean is our other board member. We're always looking for more board members and whatnot. We're almost we're coming up on a year old now, so we're still fresh and 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 willing to add more directors. Happy to. But we, so open data was like one of the one of the beginning notions. Was like, well, this is how it started, hence my question. And it's it underlies a lot of things. So our uh, we started doing monthly hackathons, and we still do. And we were picking topics like open transit. And I tried to do an Earth Day event, and I said, Oh, how about Earth Month, and we'll we'll do something with water conservation or habitat encroachment, or and these are all open data possibilities, by the way. Uh, well, they are public data possibilities, perhaps. And now we'll get to that in a second. But that was where nobody was interested in uh, Earth Month. Sad commentary. So we went yeah. with, uh, what if we just go with open data? And we'll just start looking at how we can capture data, whether it's all those things I just said, water, habitat. You know, why are there more coyotes and snakes appearing in our driveways? Well, let's look at the map and the water and the you know so so these are this was the root of uh maybe we should just try to build a way to enable people to add to the data set so how easy or difficult is it for people to not only add new data but also if they find some weird or strange or erroneous data how easy is it to suggest a change or at least point it out so what is the interaction from the public at large with your data nicole i believe you claimed ownership of it so it's yours
2: Okay, uh, I guess I'll start. Um, yeah, so it is very easy for uh, the public or anybody internally or externally to be able to reach out to us. We do have a contact section on the portal and um, we get, we see every request that comes through. Now, um, to back up a bit, when uh, I work with departments, to kind of update what data is out there or if there is any that they feel is relevant to putting out there. It really is kind of in their their court at that time because they will ultimately need the buy-in uh, to publish anything. With that said, there is a process. So once that starts, like I um, stated previously, and I don't want to be redundant, but there is, you know, of course, the, well, where is it? What's the workflow? What's the data flow? That's all documented, and then, of course, pipelines, and then it's up on the portal. Um, well, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. It's not that easy. In between, in the documentation, the committee has to approve that it's fit for Um, publication and then it's published and then once it's published um, there are times that you know we have had public um, reach out to us and kind of question it and then that's where working with the departments really comes in handy because it's really their data and and they should really speak to you know if there is an issue with it or what's the general understanding of it Um, and so we do see those now if there are changes to be made that also gets brought to the committee. So um, th- they are very aware of any changes that need to be made. And, you know, it's, it's progress and sometimes it's slow, but it, it's really worth it to know that someone has eyes on this and it is vetted and it is something that we we do take, you know, seriously and, and really want to have out to our public. Sure. Well, I well, yeah, hope they, that I... answered. I felt like it was a long-winded, like I just got that all out there <laughs> at one time. No, no,
0: no. That's okay. I'm I am known for my uh extended uh sometimes rolling over into the next day questions, so it's uh, it's totally fine. <laughs> but but I mean you so uh, it's always important to have people who and, and I jokingly said it that you claimed but you did you said my my portal I think you said earlier but it's important that people w- who have c- control of or oversight over uh authoritative information like this it is yours for all practical purposes, and you know you actually care about that. It's not just uh, oh, some. You can make insert all of your government employee jokes and whatnot, but you know you you take it seriously, and that makes it more valuable when people outside of your circle are using the product that you're responsible for, and they take it seriously, or we take it seriously. I take it seriously, and I've I've already had you know circumstances not with your data. Your data is totally awesome, but so let's Thank say you. for example. You're quite welcome. So let's take a, just a random, I'm just going to, let me just pick something. How about transit data? So I know Anthony's laughing right now. So
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> during, it, it
0: was during, um, it was right around when some of the construction for Tropicana was, was going through like phase one to two or whatever, there was some changes and there were different bus routes that were moving around the CX from Tropicana to Flamingo and whatnot. So, I was actually visiting the BattleBot studio, and which is a cool place, by the way. You should hang out there. And maybe during the summer, if we get our deal going. And uh, that was a little secret uh, reveal there. <laughs> Open data versus what's published from our RTC, the Regional Trans- uh, Transportation Commission. I always say Transit Commission because that's... But anyway, so transportation... So that they had not updated their what's called GTFS schedule data, static if you're old school. So there was a stop listed on the strip, and I walked to it. I was going to catch the deuce to the – anyway. Oh, there's a little sleeve over the stop and a detour, and, and uh, like, oh, they didn't update the static information that Google Maps and Transit App and whatnot use to figure out where the buses will actually be stopping. So when that happens – and so this is a comment again on the fact that you own this data, and that's important. When you, when there isn't someone who treats the data like it's theirs, like I'm responsible for this being correct, you end up with, oh, I forgot to mark that stop as inactive. Well, that has actual material impact. And the examples I always give are, mm, what if I was not able, what I was not completely ambulatory, right? So whatever my circumstances, I have to, you know, roll out to a stop, or I have I have crutches or cane, you know, whatever it is. It's not just a matter of like, oh, I'll just wander over there. Now you've made somebody's life that much more frustrating because they're like, ah, oh, I could have walked the other direction and gotten to a stop, but now i got to walk twice as far and my leg hurts or I can't. You know, there's all all manner of circumstances where that data, just that one data row in that one file made a big difference for somebody, right? And if if more people would treat it like that, I think we would be a really smart city. And that's my, some of my motivation. But anyway, so the Open Data Capture Platform Project the platform is the project was the idea was to start building towards the ability to take what we do with our other projects, whether it's open transit or the my Vegas project, which is all about people who live there and the interface to our city um, or the welcome project, which is the same, but for tourism, tourists visiting, how can we make it easy to take whatever we start to learn from the, the masses, the crowds that are us and start inserting that data. So we do some sort of sort of sanitizing or validation as in so much as we can as a volunteer org, and then try to create data sets that or, or merge in data with however whatever the process is. So so some of our goals, our mission, and the reason for this discussion today are exactly that. Like if there's a way to increase this data and make it as reliable and usable, we should. We should be thinking that way because it does make a difference.
2: The power of data.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah it does I'll make a difference. Start... And, and uh, you're speaking to something that we had as part of a conversation when back in the early days we were talking earlier in, in, in this episode. Um, we were, we're, were asking for data. We're talking about publishing data. We were initially publishing some of the, the GIS data sets. And we made it clear to the users, the owners, the departments, and staff people who are providing these data sets. This is going out to the world. Now, remember, it's just 10 years ago. A lot of people weren't familiar with APIs and things then, and some of the staff weren't. And we're saying, we're publishing the business license file as a layer. And somebody's going to use this in ways we have no idea um, for whatever business purpose they want to use it for. So we have to treat it like you're speaking to that person on the phone if they called in. Authoritative, it needs to be uh, current and accurate, all those things. And so we had the, I'll call it the luxury of starting with that mindset when we did these data efforts and it's never stopped. Um, you know, Nicole and myself and our team here spent a lot of time interacting with the, the, the departments, um, making sure that all the I's and I didn't across because we know someone like yourself, or some other person is using this bit of data. And to your point, a one bit of accuracy could be, could mean, make the difference. And we don't interact with you. You're free to go interact with the website. And so our way of communicating that accuracy and truth to you is making sure that it's there and consistent. And so um, we just started off that way. And so it's kind of second nature for us now.
0: Is there? I have not looked. I have to be honest. I, I just this just occurred to me. Is there an API for error or update requests reporting?
2: No, that no. would just be contact reaching out and contacting us. Mm.
0: Um, so, we did talk earlier about removing humans, which is uh, our robot overlords <laughs> will applaud. But I mean, a- anytime you. You know, anytime there's a, a person involved, then there's the opportunity to slow things down or to to be confused or I'm not not present company but, uh, excluded, of course, obviously. But
2: yeah, and I'm going to play devil's advocate there because sometimes, you know, technology seems to be our worst enemy, too. I mean, I've had times where um, stuff is out of date and it you know, I have to go and rework a lot of things to get them back online because the library is no longer supported, you know? So I, and I do try to get the cart in front of the horse or the horse in front of the cart as as fast as I can. Um, but you know, there, (laughs) there are technological issues that that I run into as well, but I do try to make it, you know, mitigate everything that I can, all the risks that I can.
0: Sure. But, um, yeah, well, I mean, it's, uh, that's probably open data version three or whatever we're on now, some later thing, but I I mean, it seems like it should be sort of, there's all sorts of discussion about self healing systems and how to recover from uh, a service outage. Right. So I, I don't know what the architecture is in the, in the internals, not the ESRI owned external portal stuff, but however you manage, like, how do you, uh, what, I don't know if there's just one, but what kind of database is Oracle, Postgres, MySQL, uh, other Cassandra, what, what what's the what's the back end look like in inside? we're
1: a we're an Oracle shop uh, on premise. Um, so okay. we we our most of our data we do have some SQL Server um, stuff running in Azure. Um, most of our data sits in Oracle Cloud instance uh, in Phoenix <laughs> in the Oracle data center. Um, and we of course our large footprint is switch where we run a lot of our servers. Um through their uh, very large footprint there. And so we have a mix and match of that. Um, the ESRI platform, uh, they are a large Amazon Web Service uh, and Azure, Microsoft Azure customer. So there's a mixture of Postgres and SQL Server databases in the back end of that. Um, and what we like to say is we try to stay out of the hardware business ourselves. We're in the platform business, providing data, uh, location sure. intelligence, just things like that, uh, we pay Esri, who pays Microsoft and Amazon to be in the hardware business. And the comforting thing for us is Esri's platform is used globally. So there could be an NGO in Thailand out someplace trying to deal with a malaria outbreak. They're using the same footprint that we are here um, with no latency. Uh, They really have done a good job uh, as a partner. We've been a customer, like I said, over 30 years. Uh, Our customer number is 208. We're early customers of Esri's they've done a really good job globally of maximizing cloud technology in the two larger providers, um, uh, and, and making that available, uh, to, to organizations like ours. So, um, but it's a mixture the stack is a mixture of Postgres and super server in the backend. Um, and then we have some Oracle stuff running here on premise. Right.
0: Well, Larry Ellison probably thanks you for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I actually I learned Postgres because uh, a friend of mine from the Apple days was working with Oracle database and we were, we were kind of learning how it worked together and we got I'm a big fan of like stored procedure and stored function and all that so it's a good platform for that. Mm-hmm. but that's a little nerdy for the casual listener. Um, so I think one of the things and by the way at uh, we minus our, our glitches we're, we're coming up in an hour. I know you guys are busy you work for the city so you're probably uh, eager to get out. the office (laughs) uh i'm just kidding um what do i know i don't work for the city but when first of all as we said some people don't even know this stuff exists and when they are they're they're shocked and amazed and also impressed and are like like wow i didn't know we we could probably use this like yeah you probably could so and we talked about the powered by or or you know a gallery of of users and hopefully we'll add to that with the things i mentioned earlier so if for the uninitiated, someone who stumbles upon, say, the Socrata API, you can you can groan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but s- somebody finds that and then they're like, oh, do we have that here? So so what's the enabling bridge that uh, is, is there one that says, hey, we can actually connect you with some real functionality. We've, we're putting a lot of money and resources and people like yourselves. So how do people uh, – and this goes to the marketing part, sure, but it also says like – Here's the leg up, or the, the 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 step, or the ramp, or however you want to get into this. So that we uh, like. Is there a sample app that people can look at? Is there a GitHub site for a uh, or GitLab's if you like for for uh, GIS data from City of Las Vegas that people can get a starter or like? Do you want one?
1: Uh, not for not for GIS data. Um, what well, I would encourage two things. One, um, you can create a free public account at ArcGIS.com and that's a plug for Esri and I'll let them do their own marketing, but you can create a free account and you can interact with these data sets using some of their APIs, which are the native APIs that we provide um, right there in in, in a browser and platform. Um, uh, But the Geocommons and open data platforms themselves, one of the reasons we moved there versus a Socrata is, it allows a lot more robust activity on the platform. So if you sure. get there and you're trying to figure out how I might use this, you can actually filter, query, play with that data there um, in in the data tab you're on looking at it before you ever download a CSV or access the API. Um, and so I would encourage folks to go and browse. It's, it, it, you know, you just kind of go, you search, you can browse, um, play with some of this data, filter it, see what's available um, to you there before you actually have to try downloading and fighting with any of the data sets once you've got them on your system. So
0: sure. Yeah. The, the, uh, there's a slight downside and it's purely aesthetic for the casual user. Like I, I appreciate blue dots all over a map, but to someone who's used to seeing like a little map of a, of a burglar mask and a gun and other fun things like that, uh, from <laughs> crime mapping to, to look at the LVB LVMPD website, for example, on the the portal on uh on ArcGIS, it's very dry and it's overwhelming perhaps to not know how to filter. So when you, if someone like myself, which I've done, I've said, uh, oh, crime mapping no longer. But, uh, if you go here, you will see a ton of data that you then have to spelunk through yourself. And by the way, it will all be blue dots. That's a, that's a slightly difficult sell. And I don't know if that's off-putting and it's certainly not accessible to the casual, you know, what's the latest crime? Like, what was that noise down the street? They're not going to find that there.
1: Right. Well, I, I then for that user, I would encourage you to go to our website, lasvegansevatta.gov. That's Las Vegas, Nevada spelled out. Um, at the top you see the ribbon of say government, and then there's maps. And if you go to the maps page, you'll find a treasure trove of maps that show you how you might use this data that we've produced and published for public including interactive maps, uh, PDF maps, Uh, of all kinds. So I would encourage them to go there that you can jump in there and see how we've used it. It's not just little blue dots. We've symbolized it and things like that. And that'd be a great place. to
0: And now we just have, we have to have people know about that. And that's, um, that's half the challenge is discovery. Like I said earlier, but I think um, if people just knew to go back to the, the value proposition is like there's just so much information available. Not the data is good, but it has been turned into actual usable information for people, and awareness is a challenge. Like our local news media, I think if they don't use it a ton, they should be using it even more than they are uh, to make these things available. I always say there's always a weather bug at the top of every web page for all of our local, you know, normal, you know, television slash website news media and print. There's nothing. They, they should have similar links, like oh, by the way, the latest level of Lake Mead and the latest um, traffic. Inf- you know, these are all buttons that could be on the site that point to this generally available data, powered by open data. Huh? I think I think we're to something. We, we
1: got a marketing campaign we're building here. I, I can see it coming. <laughs> yeah. I can see it coming. <laughs> I love it. I love
0: it. So I'll tell. So one of the things that I, my first like demo for someone who had no, I they were similar, like uh, I didn't even know about this. Was hey, we need to have a map that shows where to park for the International Innovation Center for our hackathons, and I said uh, we'll just go to the Open Data Day. Today. Says, so there's parking lots, uh, uh, par- lots and structures. I think it is, and it shows all the downtown ones. You can filter it for for the Fourth Street. You know, we basically want the Historic Street, Fifth uh, Street School, not the courthouse. I think it is right across the street. <clears throat> so I said if you just have those two, you can you can use the KML file and import it into Google Earth, and you can mark one as green and one as red or something. And so the whole thing took less than a minute and you have a fully rotatable, different viewpoints and not a static image. The data is correct. You don't have to draw on a PNG or something. So these tools are available. And the person was like, wouldn't it just be easier to draw on a map? And I said, first of all, no. (laughs) And second of all, you're, you're basically tossing out the tools and the information that's available and will be current. Like you don't have to update this map. It's as long as it pulls the data from the data sources, it will always be correct, thanks to people like yourselves. And that was a shout out back to the, my guests right here, live. You heard it here, right here.
2: Because you're doing this
0: work, people should take your work and put it into the things they want to use. And that understanding that <clears throat> that I I can leverage your daily efforts. Like you're you're actually paid to do this. So the the whole notion of I can just draw on a map and make it a static image and be done with it. I believe it's very short sighted. And I have to wonder if that's, uh, I will use just a grand term. Is that part of the problem is that people don't quite understand just how useful it is to have living Definitely.
2: data. Definitely. And um, in outside of open data, I love math. Um, and so <laughs> when it comes to things like that, that reminds me of chaos theory when you are thrown off of your precision, it is very easy to get off track. So you have all these people that are creating these static maps however they want. Somewhere it's like playing a game of telephone, you're gonna get off track and you're gonna get the wrong information, versus, hey, let's use, you know, one source and let's all, you know, use it in the best way possible. We tend to keep our accuracy and our precision, you know, close. And we all come to the same agreement. So yes, it is definitely that is something that we try to champion um, myself as well. That yeah, those those things really, if they're reined in, they really have a lot of value.
0: Yeah, and I want to point out that Nicole did correctly, if I may, use uh, precision and accuracy as two different components, which they are. Some people mix those together. <laughs> they are. <laughs> uh, what well, if oh, if yeah. we have. If we have time, we'll get into complex versus complicated, but, uh, <laughs> or my favorite puzzle versus mystery. Those are good. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: but the, yeah, I have not heard that one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That
0: is a uh, Malcolm Gladwell first said this and I cannot remember which book he was talking about, but I said, uh, I've never really, I mean, these are, I think this might be a little bit softer, not quite as, as rigorous as complicated versus complex, but a puzzle converges on a solution. You put a piece into a puzzle. If it's a. Know, traditional jigsaw puzzle but if you are solving a puzzle you are moving towards a solution almost pretty much monotonically right you're you're adding a piece you're you're putting a, a thing into another thing whatever it is a mystery you could be getting information that takes you away from the solution any murder mystery out there you're like oh, i thought it was the other person or so a mystery does not necessarily converge on a solution you may be drawn hmm. specifically away from it or you may be yeah, drawn very- in multiple directions
1: I like your puzzle example. I learned how to how to solve Rubik's cubes because someone explained to me it's actually a puzzle. It's not yes. random. There is a solution. Yep. Hmm. And that's how I. So I like that one. I would. I'm going to have to repeat that one. Well, that's
2: one way examples. that I will never forget it. Now. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Puzzle
1: versus mystery. I like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So well, and it. I mean, practically there. When you have good data, then your data should bring you towards a solution, right? So the, the data puzzle should be exactly that. But if you have wildly divergent or or not sanitized or only partial, your data could be leading you away from the answer, right? And that's uh, a shout-out to Abraham Wald back in uh, World War Two, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yes. No. So I'm I'm amazed at how many people don't know what survivorship bias is and the airplane with the bullet holes and all that, right? If you only have some data, it's not necessarily good data.
2: <laughs>
1: right. True. Anthony, do
0: you, do you know what I'm talking about now?
1: I know what you talking about now, yeah.
0: <laughs> but Nick, uh, Nicole, That's you do.
1: That's <laughs> so what well, I, I, and, oh, and I, I like to, we, we, we try to push, and I and that fear of using a buzzword, data-driven decision-making. Um, that is part of our goal. If we can help inform... We have staff people to use our data. We have citizens that use it. We have vendors, we have programmers and thought leaders like yourself who all use this data. And if it helps them make a better decision, um, a more informed decision, then that's our goal. That's part of our goal is to do that. Um, Why wouldn't we want to encourage that? And so we're, you know, I think it's a buzzword because it's a very lofty goal to say we're all gonna now start making data-driven decisions humans are impulsive by nature that isn't what we think all the time and we get that but if we can get folks to stop long enough to use your example and research or utilize one of our tools they might make a more informed decision and, and i agree and that's the win. well
0: i i um there one of my favorite although unfortunate stories is um you're does anybody listening or are us here now do we remember the jfk jr tragedy with his uh nighttime flight to Martha's vineyard in his private. So you, do you recall why he crashed?
1: There was something to do. He was flying by vision. Something happened navigationally. I remember, but I don't remember the details.
0: Yes, you are correct. Mostly correct. Um, The missing piece is the inner ear. So fun fact, I uh, almost went to the air force Academy when I was in high school I was in a, a junior ROTC so shout out to my uh, almost military colleagues uh, I was almost in there so we I had many opportunities to visit the Air Force and uh, base the Air Force Base um, and our instructors were pilots and all that so I had I had a lot of interaction with pilots and one of the things was spatial disorientation of course dizziness and so while we were at the base one day they showed us an example they do for training so you tilt your head down and they put you in this very low friction chair and they rotate you very slowly so you're you you can not see anything you only feel what your inner ear is telling you and then they and they have you indicate i'm turning clockwise and they bring the chair very slowly to a stop and the person will literally flip their thumbs around or however they're showing, like they think they're now turning the other direction but they're not moving at all so if you can imagine looking out the window trusting your inner ear the seat of your pants if you will not knowing what your instruments are telling you. So you're just looking out the window and you're tilting a little bit to one side very slowly, and then you say, oh, i got to correct because I don't look level anymore. So you correct, and now your inner ear said, oh, now I'm moving the other way. So now you're going to correct again, but in the opposite direction. So now your inner ear and your eyes are telling you different things, and you start to bank, which is an uncoordinated turn, and then you'll start to what is called a death spiral, which is a very slow descent into the water, which is what happened to them. So if you don't know the data in front of you, your instruments are telling you exactly what you need to know. But if you don't know what that data is, what how to make that into information, like don't do this. You end up trusting what you think you know instead of what you absolutely do know if you understand it. And so it costs okay. lives or it costs money or it costs uh, wasted resources. So I think if people can actually understand, uh, and this is a return back again to ROI, like, invest in understanding what's available and how to use it you can make better decisions and the important part is to know what you don't know to go back to my least favorite political figure <laughs> no he's not my least favorite but a rumsfeld quote in case anybody forgets uh you have to know what you know and what you don't know and it's important to know that if the data is incomplete or if you're misinterpreting it you might actually make the wrong decision and it becomes a mystery that you do not solve or which solves itself for you unfortunately so this is where our smarter smart city becomes an, a real thing that could be held up as an example in the world if we want to talk about lofty goals.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that is a lofty goal. And, and and I know we're in the age of AI, as everybody thinks, like you said earlier, we'll just deploy a chat GPT bot, and it'll tell us everything about our smart city infrastructure that we want to know. But you're pointing out you know, interpretation of data Validating you have the right data are all parts of that. Um, there's an example we use all the time where, you know, with the street line, center line, there's a right-of-way there. And that right-of-way just says we can put a road along this line. But in many parts of town, we've built buildings in the middle of a right-of-way because we chose not to put a road there. But early and even some navigation car navigation systems today don't know that. And they'll take a right-of-way and have you turn the left into a parking lot and they tell you you're going up a street, you know. <laughs> you got the right data, but it's the wrong decision. It's the wrong way. And and and, and so interpretation context um, means a lot. And, 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 you know, we wish we had time to work with everybody who accesses our data to help with that. But uh, we'll hopefully, you know, during the future, we'll have some tools we can make available online to foster more education about how to use open data. Nicole has talked a lot about that. Um, I'll let you speak to that, but some of your goals of helping folks use open data better and more constructive way, understanding it better and its value.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the future me really <laughs> is trying to champion not not just data, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. how the interpretation really leads to both if there's a correlation and if that correlation really is a causation. And a lot of times, you know, that's that's a tough hill to climb, um, outside of of open data, some of the things that I do like to do is anytime I'm looking at a data set and I'm doing some, you know, robust analysis or anything like that, you know, it's not just seeing if the data needs to be transformed or cleaned, you know, it's really looking at the completeness of the data and how every part of that data correlates to itself. Um, And then... What I really wish that I, I had was a little more peer-reviewed um, sort of analysis, right? Because even if I take some sort of algorithm or I do some machine learning, you know, that's that's still my interpretation of it. All those hyperparameters that are put into that data to make it meaningful to somebody, I, I think having communication to say, well, you know, yeah, our model tests better this way, but just to have a little more open conversation on how we get those models fine-tuned and keeping them fine-tuned, I think would also help some of that decision-making and some of the interpretation issues that we have. A lot of people, you know, they they are in their silos, mm-hmm. and I do try to talk data to people and, and stuff like that. But uh, I really do wish that there was a little more peer-reviewed at times.
0: Are or you openness. Were... sure? I mean transparency is uh more is probably better most of the time what um are your are your uh, methods are your algorithms are your like raw data versus like what is uh, your transformations your etls how much of that is is available for review peer, Mm -hmm. or otherwise like external or 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 is is some of that held close in or how does that work
2: well Personally, not not on the open data business side, but personally, me, I love talking about my 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 models. Anthony sees them. I would be more than happy to share stuff with people if it's data that's open and shareable. Then yeah, I love talking about it. Um, I feel like that not only helps me learn, but that also helps you know someone else learn. I and there's really it's not only inspiring, but it's aspiring as well. There there's definitely a you know. A, a flow going on there. Um, and sometimes people just, they just think I'm a nerd and they don't want to talk to me. <laughs> but it's getting wow. there, you know.
0: <laughs> nerds will inherit the earth. I, I went to uh, Harvey Mudd College where we were all nerds. So there's uh, a kindred spirit <laughs> thing going on here. But I think, well, the, the, the funny thing, I will quote uh Las Vegas resident, and uh, infamous magician and carnival barker Penn Gillette uh paraphrasing he's said this in a variety of ways but my favorite is uh Las Vegas is a city built on the inability of people to do math it is why there are so many people who believe they will win and yet casinos are still built they're not <laughs> built they're not built by giving away money so so yeah i think there's 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 this there's a ignorance is bliss i suppose but i think uh, at the end of the day it's it is the nerds if i can claim to be one as well that that are making things happen and the, the the focus now on tech as the center of the world which i don't necessarily agree with it is important but a good cup of coffee is still almost as valuable as a, a good app so i think it's important to kind of balance things but yeah the the, the nerd shall inherit the earth or there was wasn't there uh i can't remember the, the documentary the Silicon Valley documentary uh, was it? I cringely or something, something about nerds, but yeah, nerds are, nerds are fine. Do you publish your uh, stuff on uh, publicly or personal product? You have like a GitHub account or a GitLab or self host a I website? Don't. With- I, mean, okay.
2: I, I don't, I could. Um, I did have one a long time ago, uh, back when I was, you know, messing with stuff and developing, you know, some of the SDKs that were out there in the world and and having a lot of fun. I'm really kind of polishing my skills. I think I irritated a lot of people, Anthony.
0: <laughs> asking oh, a ton no, no. of
2: questions. Um, but I have not updated it since. Um, which I should. Uh, I do use a lot of uh, Jupiter notebook, so I try to make it to where it's easy for others to kind of read exactly what's going on and and follow along from each step
1: and I will say that we we do have a robust internal team Um, uh, Nicole and I and the rest of the team work together on stuff we share uh, problems we're trying to solve we share code Uh, we have many technical analysts throughout the city that work on some of these things GISers and data folks who are helping with the open data side and we're always getting inquiries and and working together, we jump in a team meeting or something and online or Webex and, and share screens and work things out. So we do that quite a bit. Um, we don't work in a vacuum. Um, it's it's a shared piece of, of dirt and that data is about that dirt and we try to, uh, to collaborate as much as possible. What we do is a collaborative medium. You can't really work by yourself and be a data yeah. person. You have to collaborate and so we do that quite a bit. Um sure. and yeah, it's fun.
0: It's fun. I for my myself, I so I've I've been fortunate I've been able to work on open source projects. Uh when I was at Intel, everything I did in our group, the maker innovator group, was open source focused or open source completely. Uh so it's fun because when you know there are two things. First of all, it's fun when you can publish stuff and you don't have to keep it secret so you can talk about it. It's easier to refer to things like I worked on that, not some mysterious project like uh I worked on Netscape Navigator when it was still closed source, things like this. So you can't really talk about and point at things as easily. But the other thing is when you know you're possibly going to run into people who have used or have tried to use what you're working on or who have learned from it or who have added to it, maybe they did a PR if you're you know into pull requests, or maybe they just did a, a CI/CD commit on main, however you work. If you talk to them and you, you're you like, um, oh, thanks for fixing that bug or, um, Somebody might say, "Oh, because Nicole published that method, uh I was able to learn from that and then you're like, oh, thanks and because it was well documented or you, right? You so I myself am am trying to write code so that I assume that people will refer to it in some way or will possibly find problems with it, but that's fine. That helps me too if they tell me. Uh so I think it I think it arguably makes you better at what you're doing if you know that people have a chance to look at it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 100%. I don't not think just I peers. Would be if I <laughs> didn't have people to reach out to
0: or. Sure. You know. big, but, but I mean, not just peers. Peer... Go ahead. Sorry. Big fans of open
1: source, uh, open source tools. We use, obviously we use Azure, which is not an open source tool, but they have plenty of open source tools they provide. Uh, we use a lot of Python. Uh, I write a right. language called Go Lang, yep. uh, Google language. Yep. Uh, so a lot of we're big proponents of open source. And and because of what you're saying, that collaborative,
2: yeah,
1: you know, you know, somebody else has experienced what you've experienced and they've kind of put a solution together and you get to contribute to that. It's, it's very rewarding to use that, those tools. Very rewarding. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I've, awesome. I've worked in uh, I worked at McDonald's when I was in high school and I will say in my edition of that, you know, fast food chains kitchen, I would, I would eat there. But when, but, you know, you can't always see in the kitchen and you're always kind of wondering, like, is that high school kids making my food? Are they mad at me? You know, you never know. But when you open the kitchen and people can – when they can see the ingredients and they can watch you cook it, you you will be a little bit more precise about things. Or you will put fewer bad, bad ingredients or you'll pay attention to uh, – temp- you know, so when people can – when you do things in front of people, they can actually uh, not only trust you, but it makes you better because you're more attentive, right? You, like, would my mom eat this? I hope so. So I think the same goes for code and so many other things. And I think one of the reasons I hope that what we're doing with this uh, volunteer organization, uh, one of the things I hope it will do is make people more interested in how to do, you know, oh, I've always been curious about open data, which which I've heard. I'm not just kidding. I'm, I've heard people say that. But then getting them to follow through and actually try and experiment or, you know, like, hey, we're, we're, we're powered by your efforts, uh, volunteers. And what you do will help the next person and so on. So I think uh, we're still in the bootstrap mode of that. We're still young, not quite a year old yet. But uh, I think it's critical that people see that, it, it, just like anything else, you receive inspiration from people like you or who have your similar interests. And when you can look in GitHub, GitLab, other such places and see like, uh, oh, Nicole and Anthony did this thing and I can take their example and build a you know, an, an open transit uh, habitat encroachment I'm um, open transit, sorry, <laughs> open data habitat and en- encroachment tool, right? Taking some data about population and some data about water and maybe some data about, uh, sightings of animals and so on. So, so yeah, uh, inspiration is part of what you commit every time in your project. You can use that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's uh it's it's been a long time. I, I don't know how, when was the last time you talked to some casual uh city local about open data this long, but I appreciate your time. I will uh yield back so you guys can get on with your day. But it's been a pleasure. And
2: uh that's great.
0: If you uh great discussion. If you have...
1: really thank you for having us on. We really enjoyed
0: it it's been i am gonna guess that anyone who's who was like what open data i think hopefully by the end to now they'll be like oh okay and that's a lot more interesting than it sounds because it sounds very dry data is an overused word it's a it's a goofy android on a star trek show or two but it's it powers everything you do and everything you will do and it's as important as anything else and i'm uh I find it very interesting. I'm happy to hear that you're using uh, Python. Maybe we should explore Julia and R. Those are things I'd like to uh, have people try out. But uh, if you guys, if you guys ever want to do a hackathon, we're doing a hackathon with. uh, I've talked, I've spoken with Priscilla Scott at the Becker Center, and they're they're gonna have a hackathon. Hack, if I can say that word, hackathon in July, and um, I recently announced in the usual places that we are going to have the Las Vegas team for space apps, the international space apps hackathon in October. So somewhere in there, there's gotta be room for open data hackathon.
1: Hmm. Uh, yeah, it is. That sounds good.
0: I will, uh, I yes. will leave the, the details for another time, but we do have, uh, we have plenty of data to start with and maybe we can add some more. Who knows? Uh, so on that note, any, any closing sentiments, any, um, any uh, sanitizing of data to do? I'm sure I'll be editing this this recording a little bit from our mishaps from the connectivity.
2: All the all the little mysteries in between.
0: Exactly. Um, yeah. Um,
2: well, I just want to thank you for your time. This honestly was my first podcast, and I had a great time. And anytime I get to speak about data and what the city is doing to. You know, move that forward. I uh, I'm game. So thank you so much. I really do appreciate your time.
1: Likewise, well, thank you very much. Uh, I am a avid podcast listener. First time on a podcast though, so thank you again. Oh, it's been great. I hope that you know, as folks hear about these tools and and listen to your podcast, they come and try them out. We, we appreciate the time.
0: I likewise, and I will leave then with the notion that this is part one of several. So anytime That's a deal All right so thank you listeners thank you everybody for listening